1 Corinthians 12, and I have chosen verses 12 through 27. You'll note, at least if you're looking at a paper version of that, that I didn't end at a paragraph break. That's intentional, and it's your job to figure out why I ended it there. 1 Corinthians 12. Just as one body, just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, each one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. The head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. And on the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. All our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that, at, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now, if you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. This is the word of the Lord. One body, many parts. There it is. So again, we've been on our Lenten journey of um, having communion every week and thinking about different themes of communion, having different styles of communion. Um, hopefully one of the things you're figuring out as we go is that the distribution of community, uh, sorry, the distribution of communion, how we do it is, um, it's not irrelevant, but it's, there's no rule. Right? The Bible doesn't say when you have communion, everybody should pass a tray to the left or to the right, or it should even be in trays. The Bible doesn't talk about little squares and tiny cups. Right? The Bible talks about these elements and the distribution of them. Right? So the reason we're doing it this way, and trust me, we won't always do communion differently. The reason we're doing it this way is to think about how does it connect with the themes. And so I hope today it was reasonably obvious or even very obvious that standing in very large circles looking each other in the eye as we participate in communion gathers us onto the theme of one body. And notice that when we talk about one body in, um, in Christianity, it's both there's one body of Christ, there's only one Christ, and there's only one, and there's also, it's the one body in Christ. We all together become that body. And that again is one of those amazing mysteries that communion tries to portray, is that everybody who participates in this loaf somehow becomes together 
one body, even though you recognize there's about 300 bodies sitting in here, right? That's one of those amazing, powerful mysteries that talks about and pushes us into that interconnectedness that we have. And that's what we're going to look at today. Now, Paul in this chapter gives us what I would call a very straightforward analogy. He basically says, a body has many parts, and Jesus is a body, so he has many parts. But just as every single part of your body is just the same one body, so every part of the body of Christ is just one body. So, very straightforward, reasonably simple. I, of course, need to make it more complex, because otherwise, why am I going to talk for 20 minutes? We should be done right now. And I'm going to. Because the concept, again, is very simple. But as I will point out a couple of times along the way, living it out and actually doing this to the fullest extent is challenging. It's not easy. All right? So we're going to look at this simple analogy, right, and recognize that it has its challenges to it. And remember, always with analogies, they have a limit, right? And so one of the things you're not to do with this passage is think, now, which part of the body am I? Right? You don't get to decide that you're the heart or you're the head or you're the toe, right? We together are people in a community. That's how the analogy points us to. All right, so there's um, more structure to my outline than usual today, and that's important. There will be three points, numbered one, two, three, handily. Each will have three points, A, B, and C, and there's going to be a refrain in between. All right? And for the first time in my entire career, before asking Ruthann in a worship service a question, I actually asked her at home so she's actually prepared. You're welcome. I'm asking you, why is there a refrain in a song? Whatever you told me this morning, that's the answer? Usually it's the most important thing. It's the nugget of the Nice. Stop. Perfect. Don't say any more than that. It's the most important thing. And you repeat it. You probably noticed that in that song this morning. There was a newer song, at least newer to me, right? And it focused on grace. And it's, we said it again and again. And by the end, one, I knew that part of the tune. And two, I knew those words, right? I knew it was about grace because we repeated it. You'll see there's a refrain in this passage. That's a hint by, about why I stopped where I did, too, by the way, just in case you're still trying to figure that part out. First point, it's a spiritual unity. And here it's initiated in baptism. For we are all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body. And sorry to do this all the time, but Paul's never fitting in with our theology the way he's supposed to, right? When we baptize, there's no water today, so I'm not going to pour it. When we baptize, we baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, right? And we baptize people into Christ, but there's a whole other community out there, we call them Pentecostals usually, who talk more about being baptized in the Holy Spirit or by the Holy Spirit. And we struggle, and I'm going to suggest we simply struggle because this might not actually be about that baptism, the initiation baptism. This might be about simply understanding that the unity that we have is somehow, and in many different ways, enacted by the power of the work of the Holy Spirit. We have one Spirit. Being baptized, by the way, is about being initiated. It's about being immersed, right? And so this can simply be, we are immersed in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is poured out over all of us, and that's what unites us together. Many teachers will teach you, and they correctly do this, that 
what we have as the unity of the body of Christ is not something we produce by liking each other. The unity we have, the spiritual unity that we have is given to us by God. You are the body of Christ, Paul says. He doesn't say try to be the body of Christ or if you feel like it, be the body of Christ. You simply are the body of Christ, like it or not, right? I had my family members over today and thankfully they don't listen to me preach so they won't hear me say this. Your family members are those people you're stuck with. You don't get to choose, that's my brother. You wake up one morning and realize I have a brother or I have a sister, right? They are your family. That's how the body of Christ works. God lumped us together. That was his decision, and it's his wise decision, and he expects us to figure out why he lumped us all together, all right? You are the body of Christ. The Spirit initiates that in baptism somehow. Now, notice this. This is a, a radical washing. This is a radical kind of unity. So when you read these words, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, most of you are going, I don't really self-identify as Jew or Gentile. I probably identify as free in some way, shape, or form. I don't likely identify as a slave, though sometimes our kids pretend that they're being enslaved when they have to do things, right? These aren't our terms. These don't translate to our experience. But for Paul's audience, him saying Jew and Gentile is saying, you and those people who you've been taught all your life to push away, to in, ess in essence be racist against, we would say, right? Those are your brothers and sisters. That's part of your body. And slave and free, right? We are a reasonably homogeneous economic community here, right? Now, let me say this. I've threatened you with I'm going to preach, love God, love your neighbor, have real conversations and hold on to each other, and I'm going to do that for 10 years. This is when we're done. When this body encompasses people from all nations and all economic, the whole economic range, then we're done. Well, we're done talking about it, then we're just going to keep on doing it, right? What I want to say by that is this idea that people who are different should hang around together in the body is not a difficult concept to understand. But judging by the homogeneity of us, the similarity between us or among us, right, it's pretty hard to do. There's a natural reality in which we're attracted to people who are like us. The body of Christ, given to us, pushed upon us, if you will, by the Holy Spirit, says, and become the kind of person who reaches out, goes towards, is attracted to people who are different from you, and draw them in. Let me give you a concrete suggestion of how that works on Name Tag Sunday. On Name Tag Sunday, you have this special privilege. You know everybody's name in this building today, right? Except for the few people I see without a name tag. Cover it up so I can't see. Right? So today you have the special privilege of walking up to anybody who you see, and the stranger the better, because stranger means person you don't know yet, right? And find them and say, hi, Eric, how are you today? Nice to meet you. My name is, and say your name, right? That's just practice here, because we're a community, we're a church, we're here by the same collective choice, right? But that's a practice that we do in this one body, because this is an expanding body. Right? This is an expanding body too, this is not supposed to be, right? But the body of Christ is an expanding body. We're trying to reach more people and connect with more people. And we do that simply by starting with the sharing of the love of Jesus Christ. And it's a pretty radical group of people that God expects to hang out together. Third under spiritual unity is internal and overflowing. So the reason I don't think that that first 1A was about baptism was because this isn't about communion. I was hoping that word that'd be really nice and simple, 
We are all given the one spirit to drink, but no time in communion do we say, now drink the Holy Spirit, right? That's just not what we say. This is more like Jesus talking in John 7, I think it is, and 4, about living water. It's going to come into you, sort of like drinking from a fire hose, and it's going to overflow from you into the world. That's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is pictured as this outpouring, this filling, that makes you so full of Him, of God, that you overflow and you start interacting with other people. Sometimes that comes out in goofy and scary manifestations, which we try to avoid here, apparently, right? But sometimes that happens in such a way, and most importantly, that happens in such a way that your heart starts to beat for the people that you see. It's what drives you into saying, I don't know that person, but I'm going to go talk to them because I think God might have a mission for me in this relationship, in this conversation, and I know he has a mission for this community, this church. The idea of being a spiritual unity is that it's the spirit that unites us and overflows from us and drives us into all the beautiful things that we can do to touch the world around us. And here's the refrain. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many, right? There's one body, many parts, so it is with the body of Christ. That's the refrain. Hang on to that. And diversity within, with unity. Difference doesn't exclude. Now look how simple this is again. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, would not for that reason stop being part of the body. Right? Number one, Paul was a predecessor of Walt Disney, so he knew that all the body parts have their own voice and that they can be actors in the show. Right? That's not the important part. The important part is your ear doesn't talk and never has a mind of its own that says, you know what? I'm moving out. I'm out of here. I'm no longer going to be your ear. I'm going to just go on my own and be an ear, right? That's... So, of course, ears don't do that, right? It's a silly thing for Paul to say. Excuse me for saying that about Paul. So why is he saying such a simple, silly thing? Because sometimes people, the parts of the body in the church, say, well, because I'm not an elder, I'm not really part of this body, Right? Because I don't give as much as that person, I'm not really part of this body. Because I'm not on the platform, I'm not really part of this body. And he's saying, no. It doesn't matter what role you play, right? You can be a small cell within the body of Christ, but you're still important to the body, right? I don't know that much about biology, but I do know that most of these parts inside of me are pretty doggone important, and I need them. Right? As Paul says later, the ones that we hide and try not to pay attention to or show or all those kinds of things, those are kind of essential. You can't see my heart's beating, but we're sure glad that that really sensitive item within me is beating right now. Right? That's the kind of thing he's talking about here. Just because somebody is other than us doesn't mean we need to push them away or exclude them. That's vital information in our world. Right? We live in cancel culture time where, wait, I don't agree with you. I must be from a different group. Here we say, no, the Spirit gave us unity, so I don't agree with you. We must be in the same group. We should be able to hang on to each other. Let's actually have a conversation about that. Let's figure this out. And maybe we walk away going, huh, you're still a different body part than I am. Or maybe we come a little bit closer and understand our interaction. Either way, doesn't matter. We're still one body 
because God said so, and Jesus prayed for it, and the Spirit has made us one. Second under diversity with unity, equal, though different. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? Right? Again, incredibly simple stuff. We need all of these different functions, right? We're really glad we have eyes because it helps us see, and the eye really thinks it's pretty important. My eyes do, for sure, because they know that without them, I wouldn't see where I'm going, and I wouldn't know what's going on in front of me. But my eyes can't tell me whether or not this is a soft loaf of bread or a hard loaf of bread, right? It needs my hand for that piece, right? And my hand and my eye can't tell me what this bread smells like. I need my nose for that piece. You get it. You all have bodies. You know how this works. It's true here as well, right? Just because I'm not on the platform, right, doesn't make me any more or less important in the body. And this is hard for us to understand, because let's be honest, we rate people, right? There's a rating system in our world. We expect certain kinds of people to take leadership, right? So I know a church where they have one of their friendship members on their council. I think that's brilliant. I think that's godly. I think that's understanding exactly how God leads. We're saying, wait a minute, we want our best leaders with the strongest experiences in the community to be also taking that role in the church. Sure, that's one part of the body, but do we really believe that the body is as diverse as God makes it and that if God sends us a whole array of people, that a whole array of those people should be in the conversation? And you're going, oh man, now we've got to start over with our nominations and start that whole process over. Okay, next year, but we're going to do this, right? We need to keep thinking about what does it really mean to let the Spirit lead through all the people that he sent us as we as the body of Christ move forward. And then C, under diversity with unity, is planned placement. I love this line. In fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. God put you here. Uh, Henry Blackaby wrote a book, Experiencing God, I think it's in, in which he says, if you want to know what God is up to, look at the strange people he sends into your life. And I've experienced this. So while living in Waterdown as a pastor, God sent me a Pakistani pastor. We're about to celebrate 25 years of ministry, of his ministry, right? He sent me a Pakistani pastor in Waterdown to do Pakistani ministry, and I'm going, God, come on. There's no Pakistani people living in Waterdown. It wasn't at that time anyways. Then I moved to Brampton, where Pastor Salim eventually was as well, right? Which made a lot more sense. There's lots of Indian and Pakistani people in Brampton. And then God sends me Peter Carrion, an Ecuadorian, Spanish-speaking pastor who wants to do ministry with us. And I'm thinking, God, we're in Brampton now. Give me Pastor Salim, because he fits here. There's a whole community of people he can reach out to. Brampton's not known, in case you didn't know that, for Spanish-speaking people. But that's who God sent me, and that ministry thrived because God sent him. Keep your eyes open. I'm just talking ministry people, but keep your eyes open in your life. Who are the people God sends your way? Who are the strange people God sends your way? And always ask the question, why? Why is God putting this person in my life? What can I learn from them? What's he saying through this person? Because that's one of the ways in which he speaks. God has placed the parts... God has placed each one of you, each one of us, exactly where he wants us to be. Pay attention to who he's placed around you.
and the refrain. As it is, there are many parts, but one body. I'm not quoting different verses or the same verse every time. You know that, right? The refrain actually comes out in the text every single time I point it out, just to be clear. Third point, interdependence. We have functional connections. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. We need each other. That's a hard one. One, because most of us were trained to be independent, right? Again, when I talk to my Indian friends in Brampton and I say, I said, kind of looking forward to the day when my children launch, they said, why? Their culture doesn't do that. They live with a few generations in the same community, right? I said, because then they're independent, because that's what we value. The Bible values interdependence, not independence, not me as an island in my own house with my own stuff, making sure that I don't have to ask anybody else for help. The Bible system is be a body. And as a body, you need all those parts all the time. And you're regularly going, can you help me with this? Can you give me a hand with that? Would you pray for me? Would you walk with me on this piece of my journey? Right? That sense of being body says not, I don't need you. It says, I need you. I need all of you. Everyone you bump into is somebody you need something from, and I want to encourage you again to keep that curiosity inside of you that says, I wonder what I need this person for. There's a functional connection. Then kingdom values, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker or less honorable or unpresentable, Paul goes into that, right? He says those ones we, speak, we, we treat with special attention. The first will be last. The least will inherit the kingdom of God. So I was thinking about that this week. I wonder, what about all the people in the middle? They just stay in the middle? That's something for you to ponder and give me an answer to sometime during the week. What about the middle people? The key to the kingdom values, though, is that God takes the value system that we have, where we value certain things more than other things, He says, I'm going to turn that on my head. We've got to keep asking ourselves, how do we turn this thing on its head? How do we not look so much in our structural system and our values of each other, just like the world around us? How do we take a kingdom value that says the least is the most important and the smallest is the most significant? And the last, we're going to push up to the front of the line, kingdom values. And then finally, shared experience. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. So I thought about that. I thought, Paul probably didn't have a congregation this size when he wrote that. Because it's pretty hard in this community. We couldn't even be in one circle. And even when you were in four circles, you couldn't even make eye contact with all the people around the circle or read their names or even see their eyes. It's pretty hard in this context that even if we publish something in, in our publications that this is what's going on in this person's life, you might not know that person, and you might not feel it with them, right? And while I'm on it, one of my beefs about the world we live in is that we get news from all over the world, and sometimes we get overwhelmed by all the lousy things happening all over the world, and I think, don't listen to all of it, because you can't manage all of that. You can't do something about something, about something that's happening on the other side of, of, of Asia all by yourself, right? But do know... What is the part of the body that you have responsibility for? 
right? There is a connection. There is a feeling of the pain. It's definitely your family. It's definitely your small group. It's definitely the group of people with whom you have those stronger relationships, right? But understand that in a community this size, and we're not the only body of Christ. You know that, right? There's other churches. There's other countries with churches, right? This body of Christ is actually the whole world. And sometimes we're called to feel the pain of people across the world, like the persecuted church, and other times we're meant to focus on what's going on right in the people who are closest to me, right? And it's the wisdom of the Spirit, the one who unites us, who speaks to us, this is my time to step in here, and this is my time to be concerned and praying for what's going on across the world. Recognize we have this bond, this connection, but of course it takes wisdom to understand when is it mine, when do I step in, when do I feel that, when do I rejoice, and when do I cry? And then the refrain again, now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. And please refrain from denying the refrain. Isn't refrain a wonderful English word? It means almost opposite things. The first refrain in there is to not do. And the second one in there is the repeated thing which you should do. So do not do the thing that stops you from doing the thing that you should do is what I'm saying there. Is that helpful? Simply this. You are, you are, you are, all of you, the body of Christ. You are parts of Christ. You together, you together, make what Jesus in this, is doing in this world happen. We say you're the hands and feet, but you're also the heart, the mind, the toes. You're all the parts of Christ, and when we function together, we function smoothly. But when there's brokenness among us, when some of us think we can live without a right hand, right, then we stumble and we fall and we need a doctor and we need help. Thankfully, we participated today in the great physician's meal, the one that binds us together. One loaf, one body, one Lord Jesus, one baptism, and one Lord of all. We are the body of Christ. Let's keep living into that, reminding ourselves of that, and being that as much and more so as we possibly can each day of our lives. Let us pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you unite us. Thank you that you don't leave it up to us to get together. Thank you for your spirit which guides us, and may we experience again and again what it means to take the unity you've given us and live into it more and more all the time. Guide us, we pray, in your holy name. Amen.